especially as we approach the halving. And then on the flip side of that, you had Sailor who was buying, you know, $20 million of spot Bitcoin every every business day for several months. And that's Yo, also- Yo, government, government selling Bitcoin. <laughs> what, what, what? I gotta, I'm gonna run, guys. See ya. Okay. What happened? The government selling Bitcoin? Oh, shit. No way. everybody welcome to episode 27 of steady lads jordy the cio of selena capital uh we have as usual with us uh taiki the full-time researcher and humble farmer uh we have thicky with us as well the sunburnt trader today and we have justin uh justin looks different uh that's not you justin how are you doing buddy i'm good how you doing so Hal Press is uh, one of the more exciting, like vibrant characters on crypto Twitter. He's always got some like big theses and sometimes they play out, sometimes not, but it's always like very cool to follow him. It's, uh, it's definitely entertaining. So Justin, unfortunately, uh, is off today. He is launching uh, Astaria uh, V2, I think is a intense-based money market. So he'll tell us about that next week and, and how that went. Uh, but we're excited to have Hal and you know, talk a little bit about the different narratives going on in the market. Um, have you been sleeping much, Hal, or are you just sort of just grinding it out these days? It's it's a lot going on. Yeah, no, the last last few months, really, since October, have been uh, detrimental to the to the sleep. But um, we pushed through, and hopefully, at some point, things will quiet down. Is it is it just sort of like? Bull market, you go hard, and then bear market, take it a little bit easier? Typically, yeah. I mean, I think, obviously, things there's a lot more activity, a lot more things to keep track of. Um, and really just, you get information much more rapidly in times like these. And so I think that the, the, the part for me that's kind of more stressful, that creates more of a, that time sink is you're always trying to synthesize new data points into whatever your ongoing view of, of the situation is and you get those new data points a lot more frequently in a bowl um and so it just requires a lot more constant updating of those sort of mental frameworks yeah i mean i definitely feel a lot more anxiety during the bull market in terms of like you know you you take three hours off to go hang out and you check your phone and, it, and it's just insane um thank you how are you managing are you you seem like <laughs> you spend a little bit too much time in the sun but uh are you doing okay in, in in this sort of bull market situation right now? Yeah, yeah, doing 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 all right. Got a little um, over overzealous in the sun this weekend, but yeah, the book's been doing well. Big big fan of your work, Hal. Nice to meet you. I've been following your Twitter for a long time. You're well. So Thicky, like you, you have infamously been calling uh, the t absolute top of the year in the first week. Uh, so far, that. That has not been invalidated. You are not incorrect so far. Um, how are you seeing things? Are you still kind of expecting further and further down? It seems like most of the GBTC outflows are still getting uh, sold without re-entering the new ETFs. Yeah, I think we've seen like three outflows in a row. Um, 
on the, the total ETF flows. And I think volumes have started to trail off across the board. So we're still like monitoring it to see where it'll settle, but it definitely looks like like potentially peak attention has already passed by. Curious if you have any views on this too, how? Yeah, I mean, largely the same view. I think kind of what's interesting is it, we had obviously a tremendous sort of buildup to the ETF. And I think probably it's hard to estimate with exact accuracy, but if I had to guess on the order of tens of billions of, of flows into Bitcoin came to sort of front run the ETF. And then to date, we actually have seen really no net inflows. It's mostly been um, sellers of GBTC offset by some entrance into the new ETFs. And it's very difficult to parse sort of how much of those, all those flows is really just rotation. Like, you know, if you're a long-term holder of GBTC, it's quite logical to rotate to one of the other lower fee alternatives. If you know you're going to have to do that at some point anyway, you may as well just bite the bullet and stop paying the fees on GBTC now. Uh, um, and so it's very difficult to parse, you know, how much of uh, the sort of inflows into these other ETFs are, are rotational versus incremental. My initial sort of sense um, is that a lot of it is indeed rotational um, and there's not a lot of net flow changing hands, which in my opinion sets things up a little bit um, cautiously because you did have these tens of billions expecting this large inflow that they were front running. And if that inflow doesn't materialize, um, it's not clear who is going to keep buying to keep things at these levels, which require more and more inflows to sustain. Yeah, obviously we've had, you know, quite a volatile month so far with touching 50 and now, you know, we're kind of below 40. Um, this is generally what happens when you have price agnostic flows. So someone is just going to buy or someone's just going to sell and they don't really care what the price is. When that type of thing happens, you have people front running them. And that is sort of exacerbates the move because it's like a sandwich attack, uh, you know, on chain, like somebody will know that you're about to buy, they'll buy first. And same thing with these outflows. I mean, if you kind of expect that these GBTC sales will continue, might as well force them to sell it, you know, sub 40 instead of at you know, 45 where we were before, and then just run it back turbo as soon as it, as soon as that ends. Um, and I do expect that we will very quickly rebound as soon as it looks like things are done. But in the meantime, market's taking a breather. Um, Taiki, are you taking a breather as well? Or are you kind of hoping that maker is gonna, maker and Kanto are gonna save your bags? <laughs> I mean, Maker, Maker is up only, and Maker ETH is about to hit parity, so I'm very happy about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, in these types of choppy environment, uh, or yeah, in this type of choppy environment, I think you know these Maker buybacks will have an effect. Um, there's like a, po a positive effect on the markets. I think narrative-wise, uh, Maker just tends to outperform when Bitcoin is going sideways. Uh, it's very anti-cyclical in that nature, so I think anything that's more in like the cash flow type of token um, or like that sector uh, will outperform if Bitcoin did see like an interim top. It's like a defensive stock, you know, market shit will rotate. That's crazy that we have that in crypto. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is the view that uh, it's a sudden mature market. Yeah. It's the crypto equivalent of a U.S. Treasury. <laughs> yeah. I think Taiki's right. Like w when things are going bad, like things with cash flows, like, Things like my maker or like these smaller casinos, maybe like a roll bit, like those things will generally outperform. And, you know, I think in, in like growth cycles, 
things that don't necessarily generate a revenue, but have like good narratives like Solana or Tia might tend to outperform in those cycles. Yeah, I mean, when we have these quiet uh, situations in the majors and, you know, both Bitcoin and ETH, unfortunately, both of them are, you know, quite subdued at the moment. Uh, the only exciting stuff sometimes is new launches or expected launches. So that sort of keeps the casino going. Uh, we have had a few and, you know, they're, no, they're not doing bad. I mean, uh, all of them in that 3 billion range. I don't know how many times a new coin will keep listing at, you know, 3 billion FTV. Now, obviously not, not all of them have a huge float, but, uh, you know, we did have Manta, we had, uh, alt layer, um, sort of just come out very, uh, just a while ago, I think another 3 billion. Ondo, can't forget Ondo. Ondo, another one that's sort of like in that, in that two to 3 billion range. Um, and, and Jupe is coming in a bit of, just about a week. Yeah. There's going to be like a big airdrop every single week, I think for the next couple of months. Oh, hey guys, what's up? I'm back. Justin, making his alley-like return to the ring. I'm sorry for being late, everybody. I'm excited that we have Hal here. It was actually a surprise to me. I just popped on and, and saw him here, so hopefully we'll get some good takes. Hopefully I didn't miss too much. You know, whenever, like, Thicky's gone, we, we whenever Thicky's away, we have, like, a, like a Thicky look-alike, kind of, you know, JMO or something else. So when you were gone, Justin, we, we needed Hal to kind of step in. I don't know if Hal's quite as, like, uh, you know, uh, strong on the on the pull-ups and stuff as you are <laughs> much more handsome though definitely <laughs> but just justin uh before we before we cut off and i suddenly changed my background uh we were talking about <laughs> how these like never-ending three billion dollar launches keep happening have we saved world poverty like have, have we solved the uh the debt of the u.s government have we solved global hunger like, do we just launch a new coin every day? Like, what's going on? Well, so speaking specifically about the alt airdrop today, I think I got a few thousand dollars of it. I claimed it and will probably sell it soon. But, you know, I used to make this mistake a while for my, like, first year or two in crypto of trying to compare crypto market caps and, like, thinking about the same way as equity market caps. But that is, like, very much not the case. This market is extremely irrational. And just to put even more emphasis on that, anyone, even myself, could set the starting price for the alt airdrop, right? Like, I could literally have been the first one to open up the pool. I could have set what price um, to, to start the market at, and then I could have supplied liquidity and just sort of maintained that price. And, of course, this thing will eventually get arbitraged down, presumably, or up to the fair value. But, like, in the short term, we see these, like, completely irrational moves when the circulating supply is so low and it's just so easily... It's so easy to control the narrative and price. So I don't think we've solved world poverty yet, but we might be getting there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely part of it is exactly what you said. Like the price discovery hasn't happened yet. So a lot of traders find a lot of edge betting against like, you know, like less professional traders in these launches. So they get a lot of volume, a lot of activity. Al, do you uh, look at these new launches very actively? Yeah, I, I mean, I generally try to because I agree with you. There tends to be um, some some decent edge in them from time to time. I think the the way that I approach it is you have to have sort of strict parameters before you get there about ranges and things that you want to participate. Um, and you generally have to wait for extremes. Like this is one of those situations where if it's not a fat pitch, you shouldn't swing at it because like, there's a lot of them and eventually you do get those fat pitches. It's not something where like you try to take marginal trades. 
and the, and the other thing is like so it's, you know if i'll look at five of these generally i'll end up transacting on one of them um and then the other thing i'd say is just that you t i typically go very slowly and small because they're much more volatile um than than sort of already reached equilibrium and so i tend to just take it quite a lot slower what you're describing reminds me a lot of uh like the world seems to poker main event there's so many fish but the professionals are like i don't want to play every hand i don't want to like get these big pots and like risk everything because there's going to be some really nice juicy spots and i can kind of wait for them uh, instead of you know taking a 55 45 all in like you can find better spots than that um you. are you also kind of you have like a calendar you just kind of Make sure that you know when all the new launches are coming. Cause is, that, is that a big part of your training? Yeah, I think so. I think we've like noticed that a Fed correctly like, it definitely tends to suck the attention and liquidity out, like that sort of launch for that day. Um, so there, there are some plays you can make on adjacent sort of tokens based on that. But yeah, it's something that I track closely as well. So here's one of the things I've noticed, like when it's an airdrop related event, like there's a large airdrop. Um, it seems like every single time it's the same chart. Like you, you launch, you know, you start selling off. People are just dumping the airdrop. They don't care about what whatever this thing that just ended up in their wallet is. And you just want to dump it. Uh, sometimes there's like a launch pool, so people have been like farming the token. They don't care about it. But then there's always quite an okay rally. So even uh, during this like pretty bad market, we've seen that Manta. Has you know had like a 30 40 percent rally the, the post airdrop rally um is this is this like alpha uh, any of you guys kind of noticed this so I, I feel like one of the main use cases of crypto is speculation and whenever there's a new token that launches people just love to buy it right and there's like this airdrop fractal that everyone talks about um i'm in a group bunch of like group chats with traders and they're all just like longing all these new altcoin like airdrops um, from my perspective, I'm more like the farmer, right? Uh, where I have, you know, I, I, I farm Manta, I farm Dalt Layer, Eigenlayer, I have like a Celestia staking operation. Uh, so I'm just getting all these tokens. I sometimes wonder who's buying these things. Um, it's kind of like what we talked about with Vicky, where, you know, with altcoins, there's this infinite supply. And at some point, like, how can there be enough dollars in the system to support all these high valuations? So I kind of wonder how long these things can last. But I guess if the flow is so low, then you know it's not that hard to you know, control the narrative and the price uh, in the short term. Um, and that's kind of like how I view it. And yeah, one thing I was going to say, and I'm sure you guys have all seen this tweet, I was looking to see if I could pull it up. So hopefully we can add it later. But um, someone ran, you know, a few months ago, they did a little analysis on all historical airdrops that had, you know, any significant value to date. And they actually looked at the price performance over the first I think almost even six months. And they noticed that the price did dump and peak generally about five to seven days or so after the airdrop. Um, and that kind of fits in line with my own psychology, like that I noticed with myself. So I got the alt airdrop. I wanted to sell it immediately. I was like, oh, a few free ETH, great. Um, but I held back because, you know, having this knowledge, like usually these things do, do peak a few days after the airdrop, even though your instinct is just to sell it right away. Uh, but hopefully we can get that data. Yeah, I mean, some people are like looking at the chart and it starts to look like Celestia where, you know, you, you had the dump at $2 and then it just rips to 20 eventually. Um, so there's always that chance. And I guess that sets people in into like buying the, the post 
or drop uh, down. But uh, I mean, what you're saying, Taiki, like it just makes sense. Like there's there's a casino, there's money in it. Like you know, you look at these exchanges, Binance, etc. There's a fixed amount of you know X billion dollars that's in. At some point, new token, new token, new token. Um, it has to rotate from somewhere unless like there's external money coming in just to buy that token. Like I don't know if it's VC money, like the VCs come in and they like liquid funds that can project specifically, but otherwise it feels like it should be a, like a net zero uh, situation. Um, maybe I'm looking at it wrong. Al, how do you think about this? And what specifically like um, the, the the total market cap of the whole universe of new coins? Yeah, I mean, there have to be like new inflows of some sort, like either VCs are raising capital or like, you know, I'm in Dubai right now and uh, I have, have been asking around, I'm like, are the Qataris and the Saudis buying a billion dollars of Bitcoin or not? Like, what's what's going on? Um, I've been told that there is some buying going on. I don't know. I don't know if it's 100% true, but I have been told that there is something, some, some amount of buying. But yeah, like just inflows were like, do we need them? Yeah, I think we definitely do. Um, and I think, yeah, the all the new token launching and airdrop stuff, I think like the intuitive belief is that, you know, it's bullish because it's this sort of sort of wealth effect where people feel rich because they're getting this free money and they start, you know, this activity picks up. But counterintuitively, there is an offset to that, which you kind of mentioned, which which I've certainly noticed in the past, which is for every one of these new launches, there's certainly a number of farmers that just are farming the airdrops for fiat. And then when they launch, you know, they convert that to fiat and there needs to be some capital allocated to buy them out. And generally it comes from other altcoins. Like I think we i think about these universes in like pretty separate terms and i think about the altcoin universe as really like its own sort of separate ecosystem and so typically what you find is actually around these launches it's actually quite bad for the pre-existing alts because a lot of money has to come from them sort of buy out these farmers of the new tokens and so i think this is a common phenomenon you see across other cycles which is you know as all of these coins have held back from launching in the in the bear because they didn't want to have worst valuations they all rush to come launch in the bull and eventually that just dilutes all the flows and creates too much sort of steady state emission that eventually kind of creates the end of the bull um and so yeah i think i think it's it's not as clear as just saying like you know all these airdrops are bullish because it creates this wealth effect and everyone makes money i mean to your point the money has to come from somewhere yeah and i on the note we were talking about i did want to just highlight this graph that i think plays also into what you were saying how this is what I had been referencing earlier. I just pulled it up here and you can see it looks like about on the fourth day, um, you have like an initial peak of price on average. And then also about two weeks later, you have an initial peak uh, or a secondary peak as well. But it does look like, you know, to your point, how all of these things basically just tend trend down over time. And I think this was a sample of, you know, dozens and dozens of airdrops. So it's pretty interesting to look at it when you see it, you know, this plainly. Yeah, I mean, there's this, uh, there's this saying, like, new coin good. I'm sure Thicky has seen this this saying about new coin good. And and maybe it's like a it's like a premium. It's like a attention premium because you get the launch and, and you get this, like, casino attention premium effect. The one, the one thing that I would say that I think is really, like, that I think is a big part of this is typically what happens is these coins have extremely low circ at the initial launch um and what it means is like once the people that want to sell have sold and the market maker deals have been filled and whatever else has been filled and sometimes it's you know 
that the market maker deal is, is benign and it takes a day and sometimes it's not and it takes a, a week or a month. But once you get through that initial period and it actually turns over to all the people that kind of know the game and are, are, are waiting and they're not going to sell and they're just accumulating, there's, there's very, very, very little actual supply available on the market. And that's why I think they tend to have those runs. And that actual lack of supply eventually creates the top, right? Because you get to a price that's dislocated to the upside too because of that dynamic. And then typically from that price, it's down only. Um, and I think that's why that chart looks like that is because you, you really like the same reason that new coin is good is why you overshoot to the upside. Um, and, and you have, have both. Yeah, to your point, uh, Jordy, about new coin good. I, I think it's really interesting. I'm also looking at, um, I'm going to link this article in the description below so people can read it. But in this article, you saw the, you know, the best time to sell. There's also indicated the best time to buy, and it looks like it's about 170 days after launch. So it's like new coin good, that fades down, that hype is all sort of gone. And then like, you know, let's say about six months after launch, no one remembers this project. It's forgotten about it. That's generally when these things bottom, it looks like on average. And not only like new coin good, but there's even people speculating on launches that haven't even happened, even if they're just getting points, right? There's points markets starting to appear. So we have like Wales Market and uh, Frentech. Who who even like talks or remembers Frentech? I know you guys were into it at the beginning, but uh, apparently there's Frentech points trading. I don't know, is it like a, a dollar a point? Uh, it seems like it's around a dollar a point. Um, do you guys have a lot of points? Are, are you like pre rich, pre girlfriend? Like what's going on? Who's got the points? I, I heard rumors that I heard rumors that people were selling their points at OTC for a dollar. Uh, each and now that market's drastically gone down. I do think Frentech's an example of like another defensive sort of mini casino that does well in the bear and does really bad in the bull. Yeah, it's kind of like NFTs, right? I think NFTs do really poorly when ETH is going up only and then NFTs start to run when ETH is flat to down uh, just because, you know, people want to hold ETH on the upside and then if ETH isn't moving, then they want to stack more ETH and they speculate on these JPEGs. Hal, I'm curious, like when you're, you know, you're hearing us talk about the most fringe, like long tail tokens, and you run and operate a fund, as far as I understand it, do you have a mandate not to, you know, ape into shit coins? Like, what what are you allowed to do here? Can you just buy whatever you want? Um, yeah, we have a pretty loose mandate. I can pretty much do whatever I think is within the best interests of the fund. There's no limits on sort of the tokens that, that we can trade. Um, so... We do, we do trade in a lot of lower cap stuff from time to time when we think that there's alpha in it. Certainly liquidity constraints are a concern. And like, if you have more slippage, then you must have greater edge for the EV to exist. So we definitely factor that in. Um, but yeah, we, we trade the full, full spectrum. And are you benchmarked to dollars, Hal, or Bitcoin or Ethereum? Dollars. I mean, how far uh, how far the spectrum do your LPs allow you to go? Like, are you allowed to take some math as well? <laughs> you already know the answer to that, Jordy. I do know the answer. How is ping me? So, if we can get the uh, the math uh, staking update here, uh, we can bring bring the link up. Yeah, NRD is a NRD is a large holder, a large holder of meth, partially thanks to Jordy, <laughs> who has uh, who has meth pill with us. <laughs> So everybody uh, watching, hopefully you, you've got some math because we have reached the cap and it's not going to be like last time where we're just going to raise the cap the next time. So at least for some substantial period now, we are at the 
333,233 ETH. Um, we're gonna reach the cap very quickly. Pretty cool. It should be, uh, you know, 800 uh, or so million dollars. Um, uh, I think it's gonna reach a billion if we if we get a bit of a bull market. So, uh, this is something that shows that there's still interest in ETH, but the ETH uh, performance has not been amazing. Hal, um, are you are you worried? Like, how how are you seeing ETH right now? I saw you tweeting about it. I I like ETH on a relative basis for sure. Um, I think that for for a long time ETH was sort of shunned as like the worst major, and all their attention and focus was on Bitcoin um, into the ETF. And then we saw that really let up after the ETF for a bit, and you had a large, a pretty sharp rally in ETH BTC following as kind of people kind of tried to move to the next shiny thing. But then ETH BTC largely retraced again. Um, and I think there was some residual selling from a few sort of uh, liquidator type um, accounts and that that contributed. And then I think also we've just seen activity wane and that usually is a negative for ETH BTC. But I think, you know, as these liquidations end and the ETF attention fades, ETH really does have the best sort of tokenomics in the space of any kind of large token. It's really the only one that it has no supply of any of any of any sort. Um, and it, the value proposition is also quite strong. Like I think, you know, in these runups, you see a lot of attention around sort of alt L1s and, you know, their greater sort of performance metrics. But at the end of the day, they're all fighting for the same sort of pie. And I've, and I've kind of said this before, you know, it's a little bit like Apple competes for the high end of smartphone market. And then a lot of these other smaller phone companies compete for the low end, but Apple ends up with all the market share. And I think that's a little bit true with block space as well. Um, and especially as we enter a potential, um, eigenlayer launch in the next probably some point in the second quarter i think there can be more attention given to the value of ETH decentralization where you know eigenlayer sort of allows you to monetize that decentralization for the first time um and so i do think things set up pretty favorably for eth on a relative basis and i, and I also think you know bitcoin dominance was a bit um overdone given that the etf really hasn't attracted it nearly as much incremental flows as people expected and the fact that Bitcoin's run up so much, it does create a tremendous amount of sort of structural supply. Like the miner supply becomes much more significant. And miners really had been stockpiling their supply and issuing equities in the run up, which I think is set to reverse soon, especially as we approach the halving. And then on the flip side of that, you had Sailor who was buying, you know, $20 million of spot Bitcoin every every business day for several months. And that's- Yo, government, government selling Bitcoin. <laughs> what? 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 Uh, I got I'm gonna run, guys. See ya. Okay. Nice. What happened? The government selling Bitcoin. Oh shit! No way. Oof, okay. Uh, so as we were recording, there seemed to have been a, a headline about the government selling like a hundred million dollars of Bitcoin or announcing it. So our active trader friends had to jump off. Uh, we didn't get to interrogate them a little bit more as to. Uh, you know what they think of the markets, but we can we can continue the episode for you guys. This has been the most cursed episode. You know, number twenty-seven has been the most challenging one. I've had multiple disconnections. We've had people run off in the middle. Heike's had issues, but we are dedicated to 
issuing an episode for our hardcore fans every single week. So we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna see this through to the end. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, let's have some fun. I mean, uh, Justin, you were showing me before you had some like Bitcoin notes. Like, are those like actual uh, Bitcoin behind them, or like what are those exactly? They are, yeah. So these are paper Bitcoin. Uh, actually, find me in Denver. I'll probably have a bunch of these that I just want to hand out to people. I was thinking of giving them to like friends and family because it's fun seeing like a physical manifestation of Bitcoin. The way it essentially works is there is an NFC, NFC chip right there. And to actually withdraw the Bitcoin, you have to cut it in half permanently, you know, like releasing the private key. I'm still sort of like learning how it works and whatnot. But it's super interesting. Like these are fun little things you can just give to friends. You can give as a tip, as like a gag gift or for people that aren't necessarily into crypto and they can just throw it in their wallet, throw it in a drawer and forget about it. And uh, for me, I just think these things are super fun and it like shows you that crypto can actually have like something going on in the real world, right? I mean, I, I think that's a really good idea. Sorry, false alarm. Oh, false alarm, false alarm. Oh, what, what happened, Hal? Vicky, Vicky's trying to fight everyone into thinking the government's selling all their coins, but there's just a separate unrelated case. So, uh, that 130 million, it's like dust, right? Like, uh, it's not... Well, I wouldn't say it's dust, but it's not the... It's not the, the um, 100,000 stash that they, that they, uh, that they have. Now, is there, is there some connection that if they're going to sell this that maybe they start selling that i don't know i haven't i had not enough time to think about it all to be honest but um they didn't move the coins that that everyone's monitoring and i put the celsius ethereum is that is that ended or are they still holding a bunch of ether they're dumping my understanding and i don't have specifics on it but my understanding is they're pretty much done with the actual they, like okay so they had a lot of ETH and they had to sell some of it for um covering expenses related to the to the legal expenses that they'd accrued and then they had a bunch else that they needed to distribute in kind my understanding is that they finished um selling that which they had to sell for the expense portion um but they still have to make their in-kind distribution got it got it okay but their in-kind distribution will be both Bitcoin and ETH. It's about three billion dollars in in aggregate. Um, fifty part, like fifty percent Bitcoin, fifty percent ETH that will be distributed in kind to Celsius creditors at some point, likely in the next month. So that that is going to be some sort of spot supply of majors in the market. I mean, obviously not all those people will sell, but some portion of them. Hell, help me, um, help me understand what's going on here. Like a month ago, we were all singing crypto's praises. Maybe even three weeks ago, we were all bullish. We know, we saw the ETFs coming. We we're like, these inflows are coming. And then of course, like price has gone down a bit, nothing crazy. And now it seems like the whole mood has shifted. It's like, we've got the Celsius unlocks. We have the Mount Gox unlocks. Uh, the ETFs are useless. The ETH ETF is going to get approved, but it's only going to lead to more outflows from the GBT or the ETH E grayscale fund. Like, is this all just price driving the narrative or what are your thoughts there? Or has thing, things changed? Um, so I wrote an annual letter at the end of the year, you know, when prices were all still at the highs. And I said, I can, I could find the quote um, in the letter, but, you know, I said, you know, time and time again, we've seen in, in crypto that 
pretty much every event to sell the news. And for every event, people always try to come up with reasons why this one will be different, but it seldom is. Um, and I think, you know, it's easy for me to, to, for, to say that now, but, you know, when we were at 48K and everyone was bullish, it wasn't so easy to have that view. Um, but I think that's really the reality. Like, if I take a step back, my, my bias coming into it and, and what continues to be my bias is like, we front ran, like, like crypto was pretty much left for dead, right? In, in um, September and August. Um, and then Trout started front running the CTF. And in my opinion, this is only my view now, but in my opinion, everyone tried to convince themselves that like we're back and everything's great again. Um, and, you know, everyone should go buy altcoins and everything goes up 400%. When in reality, it was mostly just an ETF front run. Like we didn't actually create any new tech between now and four months ago. Like we didn't actually accrue any new users between now and four months ago. In my opinion, all we had was a bunch of TradFi flows front running this ETF, which hasn't actually proven to yield any results. So in terms of net inflows into the space following it, like it's basically been paired off. So in my opinion, like we kind of just took it too far um, and we created all these future emissions that I don't really know who's going to fill. Like, you know, what the, the, the consequence of running altcoins up 300% as a group is that all the structural outflows from them is, is quite large. And so I, I think we've reached a point where like attention has peaked and it's not obvious to me who's going to keep filling the demand of all these ongoing structural emissions. Like I think a friend of mine did an analysis where the new coins this cycle are 30 billion um, market cap, but like 180 billion FDV. And they're going to unlock something like another 40 billion at current prices over the next year. Like that's greater than the entire AUM of all crypto funds in the world. So just to, to me, like, I don't really have a strong view on majors, but I think that like the, the, the high emission altcoins, it's unclear the path, but in six to 12 months, they'll largely be lower. And that's, that's kind of just my baseline view. Yeah, I agree with you broadly. I know we called it out on this show. I think we all went around and said like every single event we have ever witnessed in crypto has always been sell the news. But I can only speak about me personally. I didn't sell the news, right? I just ended up holding and it was, you know, hard for me to act on it. But I agree broadly with everything you're saying. But the one caveat I'd want to ask you about is like, it, it seems like the worst thing you can do in crypto's history is fade cycle theory. I personally don't believe it because I don't think a have the having has any impact right now going from two to one percent. And I don't believe that markets operate in this like four year program cycle. It just doesn't intuitively make sense. But like fading that is the worst thing you could have done over the past decade, right? So like, what are your thoughts on cycle theory? Yeah, it's a really good question. And the reality is I haven't traded any cycles, frankly. Like I'm relatively new to this market, so I probably don't have a very, very well-informed view. So like I would defer to others um, and I would avoid kind of making a high conviction view on that. Like for me, the easier bet is just to play sort of like pair trades with a lot of these kind of like overvalued um, low float coins versus others that I that I have a stronger view can can sustain better. The sign of a good gambler, you know, you know what, what your game is, you know, which one's not your game and you kind of stick to where you have the edge. Um, I mean, we talked a little bit about the new launches. One of the large ones that's about to come out that's been hyped for a long time is uh, Jupiter on Solana. So 
Um, Avo, I think, is showing it around five to six billion right now. I think at some point it was showing, you know, even higher. Um, but this is supposed to be, you know, a very large event in the Solana space. Have you have you been tracking this one? I mean, um, do we expect a similar sort of chart pattern as the one we saw before, or what do we think about this specific project? It depends where it launches. So I think, I think on a lot of these, like you know, these like sort of pre-token markets that that have a market on them, it's showing at about five billion FTB. I'm a I'm a seller at at that valuation. Like I think if it launches at that. Price. I think it might even be six. Actually, I think it's six. Um, I think if it's if it if it comes at that price, to me, it's it's probably not going to sustain. Like I don't, th I actually don't think that this is a better protocol than either Jupe or Pith. So for it to launch above those two, and then obviously like one inch on the ETH side does the exact same volumes as Jupiter, and I think it's like a six hundred million FTV. Um, so personally if it launches at that level like i'm going to be looking to do sort of a pair trade between one inch and jupe and kind of hold that for a longer time frame like you could have done you know when Gito was four and lido was two something you know that pair trade made a lot of sense as well uh, i think there's going to be something similar with jupe now if it comes at a lower valuation like if it comes at two or three then i think probably will will follow that similar airdrop fractal where it, 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 it digests sort of the selling of the airdrop at that two three range and then eventually does rally and then probably leads out from there so i think it all depends on where it launches yeah also like one thing i realized is that like all these airdrops it's typically more bullish the ecosystem tokens like the other tokens and when Jito launched solana 2x right after and bonk also i think 4x right after the launch so and if you go on twitter there's like no real discussion of people like that's wanting to buy the jupiter airdrop everyone's talking about when you sell your Jupiter, like, what are you going to buy next? Uh, so I feel like that's kind of the sentiment around CT. And even like today, like WIF is up 10% or something uh, because people think that people will sell Jupiter to buy WIF uh, as like the speculative meme coin. Um, so I think that's kind of how the Solana ecosystem is. It's, it's a place for people to farm airdrops and take those airdrops to speculate on other stuff rather than to like actually hold on to these things. Yeah, I think it'll be quite interesting to see if uh, even in this semi bear market i mean solana has kind of followed you know the rest of the market and it's back in the 80s right now um you know jupiter being such a blue chip does that break the cut break the trend hell can i ask you a question on pair trading because it's uh interesting i'm not i'm not a trader um but um i did put on a pair trade somewhat recently i actually i, I don't have this on anymore i longed mantle and shorted eth I ended up reversing that and just logging mental against USD, but I'm curious. Jordy, like for... Jordy's really, Jordy's really uh, having an impact here. Well, you got to bet on your friends. That's all I'll say. Fair no enough. matter what. No well, I think it was. What. I think it was a good bet. I think it was Jordy. Jordy tends to deliver. He always delivers. Um, but <laughs> what I was going to ask is like, for a non-trader, is it is it actually safer to put on a pair trade, even though it's a little counterintuitive, like longing? an ecosystem token shorting ETH, or would you just recommend people stick to the basics? Look, it's a good question. I think, I think there's a lot of nuance to it. Um, it's a, certainly a different, a different type of thing. Um, it can be a lower variance thing than just outright positions. It also can be higher. Um, it depends, you know, what's your pairing. Like, I think, 
the one interesting pair trade that that I've done recently is um, I've put on an optimism arbitrum pair trade where we're short arbitrum long optimism basically because arbitrum has a two billion dollar clip in a bit under two months um, and I think that there's going to be some impact of that and arbitrum trades at, at quite a large premium to optimism right now. I think for something like that, those two tokens are extremely correlated with each other. And that actually does reduce your variance versus either outright longing optimism or outright shorting arbitrum. But if it's something like you said, where it's Mantle ETH, I'm not sure it does reduce your risk all that much because Mantle is an alt and ETH is a major and they typically have a different profile. Um, so I think like you can sort of sort out some of the market noise with that. But I think if you really want to reduce the variance, you need to find something that, that, that has a lot of the other sort of like factor exposure. Um, so for me, I do think there is a place for pair trading. Uh, I, we do, we do do it, uh, quite frequently and we have done it profitably in the past. Um, but it requires a lot of nuance. And typically I think like the best way, like these pair trades, you typically need to hold them over a very long period of time and play some structural thing. And so typically what I've found is sizing them smaller and kind of putting them somewhere where you don't think about them, you don't look at it day to day, and you just come back at a predefined period in the future, like six or 12 months, like you set a date. A lot of times you have events around these things. So like for Optimism Arbitrum, I'm just, you know, I'll come back after the cliff. Um, and then you just don't look at them and you come back and, and you're just disciplined about it. And you take it off at that time period. And if it's down, it's down. If it's up, it's up and you just move on. Um, but I think if you do them like that, um, you can have some success with them. Do you do any like correlations or any like, you know, number crunching to see which coins are historically correlated or you just kind of... For, uh, for me, it's more of a feel thing. For me, it's more of a feel thing. And it's just like, you know, I stare at the screen every day watching everything trade. So you end up like with an intuitive sense of it. Um, but you certainly could get more quantitative with it. I mean, typically the way I run the fund these days is pretty much like an equity long short fund. Like we typically have both longs and shorts and... Um, what we really like sort of seek to offer investors is sort of an uncorrelated market return. Um, not to just like shill our fund, but we, I, I'm pretty sure I can talk about this in this forum, but I think we, we were up a bit over 115% last year and we didn't have a single month with more than a 1% drawdown. Um, so that's kind of what we're trying to shoot for is like consistent returns without basically any drawdowns. Um, and so that pair trading and sort of long short style does does have a place. Nice. And hopefully like this year will will be uh, quite as good and you'll we'll keep keep running it up to about Yeah, prior prior results are no indication of future results. So we'll just try to do our best and we'll see where the chips fall. Definitely an NFA. Um, cool. Let's let's move to our final segment. So we have our uh, pasta of the week segment and I've seen some of the pastas are quite strong um, I think Justin I, I might have stolen your pasta I didn't think you were going to be here I can't allow that I I pre-reserved two pastas this week I'm not letting it happen <laughs> I took one I don't know if Peggy took the other one but we, we might have taken your pasta uh, do you have <laughs> I'm about to present my two pastas so you guys are going to have to improvise on the fly I need this win from Hal. Um, so Hal, <laughs> for context, we do a pasta of the week where we share like our favorite tweet. And uh, I notoriously lose every single week except for like, the lads gave me a win on my birthday just to be nice. That was, that was sweet of them. 
All right, well, Justin, you have to pick one at least. So out of the two, choose one and, and, and let's go with one. I can only pick one? Yeah, I'm going to choose the other one. <laughs> All right. If that if I'm only picking one, I'm going with Ansem because I said something inappropriate about Solana last week. And so I'm looking for a little redemption. Uh, so Hayden tweeted out, um, basically, why do so many people hate crypto? And the tweet was basically like, they hate crypto because all we do is talk about the price and like rub it in people's faces when the price goes up and then get embarrassed and go back into a hole when the prices go down. And then Ansem quote tweeted and said, wait, your product's entire use case is to allow anybody to speculate on the price of coins, question mark. And it was just absolutely hilarious um, seeing seeing this reply to Hayden because it's just so true. Hayden was the one that enabled this, you know, flurry of new tokens. Anyone can launch a coin. Anyone can launch a pool. Anyone can speculate permissionlessly. And he didn't, you know, catch that. So I thought this was great. Ansem's hilarious. And this here, my, my job is to, is, to, is to say which one of these is the funniest. Funniest and most enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this is, this is beautiful, right? Ansem is... Uh, the king of retail, the king of the degen, the king of the left curve, just going against this like, you know, guy up in the clouds. We don't see him. He just, he, you know, he, he's a very successful founder, OG, but uh, a little disconnected from the the people, you know, the the, the bourgeoisie. And uh, I think Ansem, he made this point that we've made on the podcast before when we talked to Jeff from Say that you know that conversation with him was around like. Is all of crypto just speculation? Is, is, is that what it is? Is it just betting on coins? And, uh, you know, I think Hayden could potentially say that, you know, Uniswap is, is a spot. It's not a perp deck. So it's more, you know, people are acquiring maybe longer term investments rather than speculating. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was a very good pasta. And actually, that was the one I was hoping to use. So uh, I, I, I will scramble to find Jordy's out. Jordy's uh, out. Jordy's out. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna steal. I'm gonna steal Figgy's. So Figgy's gone, and he actually gave me. He gave me the pasta that he was gonna use. So uh, I will. I will use Figgy's pasta while while Figgy. You go, and I'll get Figgy's pasta. All right, all right. Uh, so this is my pasta. So this is uh, conditioning like Pavlov's dog experiment. But think about it with airdrops and points. So before conditioning, right, we have the unconditioned stimulus, which is like dogs salivate or crypto degens salivate when they receive an airdrop. Um, but if you give degens a point system and then an airdrop, then they're going to start salivating and they're going to associate the same, like those two things together. So now we have degens just, you know, degens see like, like a point system uh, and then they just like start aping into a bunch of things. And then we see this situation where the farmers are being farmed uh, where, you know, for example, hyperliquid, um, Literally, the market's been up only for like the past six months. Uh, but traders on Hyperliquid, they're down like $5 million. Uh, so it's like this, I guess, like psychological experiment of like DGENs is getting destroyed uh, with these point systems and the farmers being farmed. I've been, I've been following your tweets, Taiki, and it feels like you're getting very emotional about like Celestia. You're like, oh my God, I'm stuck. I need to sell and it's dumping. And you're like, oh no, there's an airdrop. Let me back in. Like, I want to I wanna restate. Like, let me back in the house. Are you are you putting on an act, or are you actually getting like that, like emotionally involved in the airdrop game? Oh no, I mean it's it's all a meme, right? Like, I mean, I staked Celestia and like all my airdrops, like it's already covered for uh, like my initial capital, like whatever I put in. 
so now it's just like all memeing um, and just like joking about, you know, like this, like, oh my God, price down, it's over versus price up, oh, everything is like, we're back, right? It's, it's like the virtual cycle. Celestia, Celestia was a great call. Celestia was a great call, by the way. Um, in hindsight, it was quite like, I think it was, it was definitely like an achievable catch that we didn't participate in at all. So I think it was a miss for us. But it was great, great call by you and anyone else that, that participated. Like, I think like this story of just being able to stake this token and get a share of all or like many future potential L1s for the whole cycle is just so sellable. Like it really, it really was an achievable sort of like catch. Um, so congrats to those that caught it. You don't have to boost his ego too much. Every week I'm getting a DM from Taiki saying that I missed, uh, missed Tia. So I'm feeling it, but congratulations. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta give credit where credit's due. Hell yeah. So we have Thicky back, Jordy. So you have to get scrambling. You're I was just about to, I was about to steal your pasta, Thicky, but, but now you're back. So, uh, All right, Jordy's out. Jordy, Jordy wins enough. He doesn't need to win this one. <laughs> Thicky, let us, let us see your pasta. All right. Yeah. Yeah. This one's from my friend, uh, what, um, I thought it was pretty hilarious. The cartel continues to find creative ways to send us signals. Word of the day is capitulate. You know, plans on the price action you can see for the past week or two of the ETF launch. I, I'm gonna have to go with Justin. I like Anthem. No, no, no. Let, let me, let me, like, let me, like, let me get an entry in at least. I want to get an entry in. But uh, Justin, ruled. you can put your entry in. But I'm already ruled. Hell yeah! Thanks, Hal. I, I really like you, man. We gotta have you on more often. What are you? What are you doing next week? <laughs> Yeah, actually, we'll we'll talk offline. <laughs> so uh, this is Justin's second pasta. It's got the uh, the Uniswap airdrop, the OG airdrop, and people were actually, you know, getting excited about these things. And it says, my father-in-law is a token builder. We were looking at the Uniswap airdrop last night, and I asked him what it would cost to do this today instead of points. I will never forget his answer. We can't. We don't know how to do it. We are so deep in points and points on points that, you know, these just giving people tokens instead is, uh, is a long forgotten, <laughs> the long forgotten art. Fair enough. Cool. Well, thank you for all, thank you for joining us, Hal. It's been a remarkably eventful episode. All kinds of bombs have been formed during it. Uh, I'm sure Justin is happy that you joined as well. So, uh, thanks. Thanks to our audience as well uh, for bearing with us and, uh, see you guys next week. Bye, bro.